the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now, folks, if you're going to be best friends with your spouse, then you have to make it a priority to spend time with them. And when you're together, you got to talk to each other. You got to find out what's on their mind. You got to share your heart, your life, your mind. This requires that you have to have a plan. You have to have a strategy to communicate. Otherwise, you will find your time filling up with things that just are not as important. It can be hard to keep our schedules from becoming so jam-packed that we don't have time for our spouse. In fact, a pastor friend many years ago told me that he had gotten into trouble with his wife for a few minutes because of his plan to spend time with her. She saw in his appointment book that he had actually scheduled time with her. She was pretty upset that he apparently thought she was so insignificant that he had to put her on his calendar. Well, after he explained that it was exactly the opposite, that she was so important and there were so many demands on his time that he needed to protect his time with her, she felt a lot better. So far, I haven't had to resort to those measures, but my wife and I are very careful to make sure we spend time with each other. In fact, it's kind of a feedback loop. The more we hang out together, the more we like being together, which makes us want to be together even more. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve normally preaches verse by verse through the Bible, but this time we're bouncing around a little as we consider God's ideals for marriage. Today we're in Genesis, looking at God's original design for marriage. It's been said that a young man is incomplete until he finds a wife. And once he's married, well, then he's finished. (laughs) It's a joke if by finished we mean done for, but if we mean that he has what he needs, that's different. As God completed each day's work during creation, he concluded at the end of the day that it was good. But after God made Adam, he decided that Adam, while good, wasn't yet complete. Here's Pastor Steve with more. Now, this is very interesting. Very interesting, because if you think about Adam's situation before Eve was created, it would appear that he had everything that he needed. After all, he enjoyed a perfect relationship with God. Sin had not entered into the world yet. So he had a perfect relationship with God, perfect fellowship. Nothing was wrong. He had a perfectly gorgeous home. He had the Garden of Eden before the fall. And he had the most wonderful job. He took care of the perfectly lush Garden of Eden, which was free of weeds at that point. And yet with all of these great things going for Adam, God declared that it wasn't good for this man to be alone. Question is, why not? Why not? How could Adam be in a not good condition when he lived in a perfect world, had a perfect job, and enjoyed perfect fellowship with the Almighty? I mean, who needs anything else when you've got all these things going for you? Well, Adam did. And there's a reason for this. If you look once again back at Genesis 126, this is the reason. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. But notice the beginning. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now notice here that as God is about to create Adam, he says that he was making man in our image and according to our likeness. Who is God talking to? And why does he speak of himself in the plural rather than in the singular? Well, some have interpreted this to mean that God was addressing angels in his heavenly court. That's not true. Man wasn't made in the image of angels, nor is there anything in Scripture that indicates that angels were involved in the creating of humans. The most plausible explanation is that this is a reference to the Trinity, the triune Godhead, the one true God who exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they are having a conversation between themselves. And they are declaring that they're about to create man in their image and their likeness, which does not mean that man will physically resemble God because God is invisible. God is spirit. To be made in the image of God means that man resembles God in his personality and in his nature. Now think about this. If each member of the triune Godhead, if each of them know and love each other, and have a special relationship with each other, which they do, then it only makes sense that God created man in his image, watch this, to also have special relationships. But here's Adam, all alone in his perfect world, with his perfect job, and his perfect relationship with God, but it is not a good situation for him. And the reason it's not good is because he's missing that special companion who he needs. Now, I want to stop here and think about what God is saying because there are several truths that, that he reveals here about marriage that have the potential, I'm telling you, to dramatically transform your relationship with your spouse if you will hear it and heed it. First of all, what we discover about God's design for marriage is that the purpose for the first marriage and really the purpose for all marriage is companionship, companionship. The one thing that Adam lacked was a special companion, a special friend. He was created in the image of God, yet unlike the Godhead, he lacked someone of his own kind, someone of his own kind to love and to know and to have a special relationship with. And so God made Eve for Adam's companionship. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what this tells us about God's intention for all marriages, including yours, is that he designed marriage to be, note this, first and foremost, a companionship between a husband and a wife. See, marriage is a relationship not primarily between sexual lovers, but between a man and a woman who are the best of friends. In fact, in Proverbs 2, verse 17, God refers to, to a spouse as a companion. And the unique Hebrew word that he uses here for companion means special friend or a chief friend. In other words, a husband 
and a wife are supposed to be best friends. That's how God made a marriage to function. In the great love story of the Song of Solomon, the Shulamite, Solomon's wife speaks of him as her most cherished companion. When she refers to him with these precious words, in chapter 5, verse 16, she says, this is my lover, this is my friend. What a great statement. This is my lover, this is my friend. So it's clear from Genesis 2 that marriage is designed by God to meet the fundamental need to provide a special friend for you of the opposite sex so that you are not lonely anymore. And yet, as someone has so pointedly put it, and I quote, some of the loneliest people in the world are married people who share a marriage bed, but not marital companionship. How tragic. What a tragedy to be married and yet be so lonely. But that may very well describe your marriage. Perhaps you thought when you got married that it would fulfill all of your desires to no longer be lonely, but you have found that that's not the case. You are incredibly lonely, even in the presence of your spouse. So why is that the case? And really, what can be done to remedy that situation? Why is it that marriage, which is designed by God to bring two people together to be the the very best of friends, can end up being one of the loneliest of all situations? Well, the answer to this question, this dilemma, is that friendship doesn't automatically happen. You have to work at it. It doesn't automatically happen when the pastor says, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You have to work at developing a friendship with your spouse, first before you're married, and then after you're married, you have to work at maintaining that friendship, at deepening that friendship, at cultivating and working at that friendship. Otherwise, I guarantee this is going to happen. You will drift apart and stop being friends as you carry out lives independent of each other. So how do you cultivate a companionship with your spouse that maintains its freshness and even deepens as the years go by so that you don't drift apart and fall out of friendship? Well, you have to follow what scripture says concerning friendship. You realize the Bible speaks about how to be a friend. The Bible addresses that. The Bible gives us some wonderful insight on what it means to be a friend. Learn these truths of how to be a friend and apply them to your marriage. This morning, I want to give you some of the elements of what the Bible says goes into developing a genuine friendship. I would encourage you to write this down. First of all, the Bible teaches that friends are there for each other, no matter what. Friends are there for each other, no matter what the circumstances or adversities might be. Proverbs 17 Verse 17 says, a friend loves at all times. Did you get that? A friend loves at all times. See, a true friend is consistent. A true friend is constant in his or her love for the other. They are not what we call fair weather friends who take an interest in you only when you're doing well so that they can benefit from being your friend. That's a fair weather friend. Proverbs 18.24 says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, a real friend is always there for you, especially during adversity. That's a real friend. And folks, this is true in marriage. It's true in marriage. If you want to develop and maintain this kind of friendship with your spouse, 
this friendship that God calls you to have, then you have to have a commitment to your spouse regardless of the changing circumstances of life. You have to genuinely care about them through all the trials and all the difficulties of life. You have to be there for them when their health is a problem, when they're down, when they're depressed, when they are discouraged, when they're going through a trial, when they're not thinking properly. You see, marital friendship isn't about benefiting you. It's about being true and loyal to your spouse through the good times of life and through the bad times of life. It's not about you. You love your spouse when they are young and vibrant, and you love them when they are old and have dementia. That's why your wedding vows are so significant. You have promised to love this person that you are marrying in wealth as well as in poverty, in health as well as in sickness. You are promising them to be true to to that one person in all things until death alone separates you. That's why I tell couples that I do premarital counseling with that everything in your on your wedding day concerning the ceremony, it's all secondary to the vows you're taking. Mean them. Go over them before and before the ceremony and mean them in your heart and look at the other one and mean what you're saying. This is precisely what we talked about last week when we talked about being a spirit-filled spouse. You see, the primary reason marriages fail is because husbands and wives are selfish, self-centered And a selfish person cannot be a good friend to anybody because all they think about is themselves. And when things don't go well for them, they're out of there. They're gone. If not physically, emotionally, mentally, they're gone. Absentee. Listen very carefully. Marriage is about you being a faithful friend to your spouse regardless if your spouse is a faithful friend back to you. Did you get that? Marriage is about you being a faithful friend to your spouse regardless if they are a faithful friend back to you. That's critical. It means that you're there for them when they are hurting. You listen to them when they need to talk. You take an interest in their daily activities even if those activities are not particularly interesting to you. And even if they're not there for you in all those things that I mentioned, that's irrelevant. A true friend is a true friend regardless of the circumstances. That's the way a real friend behaves. So don't take your spouse for granted. Become her best friend. Become his best friend. And I remind you once again, this can only be done when you are filled by the Spirit. Otherwise, you'll just be too selfish to be a friend. Second element to friendship is that friends talk to each other. They verbally communicate. They share their thoughts with one another. That's very significant. Friends talk. They communicate. Proverbs 27 verse 9 says this, oil and perfume make the heart glad. So a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Friends counsel one another. They talk. It's a sweet thing. And sometimes when they talk, you know what friends do? They hurt one another when they talk. They don't harm one another, 
they hurt one another because they love each other so much that they are willing to speak the truth, awkward though it might be, for the benefit of their friends. I love Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses, but deceitful rather, are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Listen, a true friend will be transparent with you, will candidly tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Like a surgeon who cuts you only to bring healing, a friend will hurt you if they have to by telling you some truth about yourself for your ultimate good. That's how you know if someone's a true friend. Otherwise, they're not your friend. Listen, husbands and wives develop and maintain their friendship when they talk honestly to each other, opening up their hearts to one another, knowing that the other one is not going to reject them if they say something that hurts, regardless of what is said, because they're friends. That's how friends speak. That's how they do it. They speak to one another. In other words, friends feel safe to speak their minds with each other without fear of rejection. That's a true friend. Now, folks, if you're going to be best friends with your spouse, then you have to make it a priority to spend time with them. And when you're together, you got to talk to each other. You got to find out what's on their mind. You got to share your heart, your life, your mind. This requires that you have to have a plan. You have to have a strategy to communicate. Otherwise, you will find your time filling up with things that just are not as important. This is the very thing that breeds loneliness in marriage. Two people who live together, share the same bed, but they're just not talking. Hardly, other than superficial things. Many years ago, a wise man urged me to spend more time with my wife. He told me that Sunday was the Lord's day, but Monday was the Queen's day. And so with very rare exceptions, Michelle and I spend our Mondays together as well as other times. And we have to fight for that. And we have to strategize. And we have to plan ahead. You just have to work at it. Now there's one more common element that all friendships have. All friendships have something in common. They, they have a common passion for something outside of themselves. They have a common interest in something. It was C.S. Lewis who said that the essence of friendship is the exclamation of the words, you too? Meaning, you too love what I love? See, all, all true friends have a common commitment to something outside of each other. There's something else besides themselves that they feel passionate about. And it is this common passion outside of themselves that draws them together as friends. Now, for those of us who are believers in Christ, this is a no-brainer. It ought to be the common thing that you have a passion about ought to be your love and commitment to Jesus Christ and his, his word. I mean, you may have other common interests, but he needs to be the core, at the core of your your relationship. This is why a husband and wife must be on the same page spiritually. This is why a believer only is to marry another believer. Can two walk together except they be agreed, the scripture says? 
So you have to be husband and wife on the same page spiritually to really be close friends. So make sure that your commitment to Jesus is what it should be and make him the center of your relationship with your spouse. Here's a few thoughts for today. Here's what every married couple needs to consider. Just one question. Are you your spouse's best friend? Are you your spouse's best friend? And if not, why not? What are you going to do about it? What do you need to do to rekindle your friendship? It's never too late. What do you need to do? Today, let me tell you, you need to sit down with your spouse and talk about this. Talk about cultivating your friendship. Formulate a strategy to do this. Perhaps you need to plan a regular date night so that you can spend time together. Begin to open up your heart to each other and have some honest talks. Maybe speak about something that's bothering you about your spouse. Remember, faithful are the wounds of a friend. No matter how difficult your marriage has been, it can be restored. You just have to follow God's blueprint for marriage. Now, one, the one common thread that ought to draw your hearts together with your spouse is your love for Jesus and his truth. He ought to be the one you adore, the one you worship, the one who knits your hearts together. And you know what? It is the Lord's Supper that always reminds us of this. It always brings us back to the truth that Christ is to be the center of our lives, not our husband or our wife or our children or anyone else because Christ's love is greater than any human love, right? And he sticks closer to us than any human ever will. He's the one who'll never leave us, never forsake us, and he's more committed to telling us the truth about ourselves for our own good than anyone else. It's called conviction of sin. So this morning, we want to remember him, the one who died for us, the one who who has transformed us and given us the capacity to be servants. Otherwise, we'd be bound in our selfishness. All this would be nonsense because we wouldn't have the capacity to even be a servant. But if you know Christ, you can be a servant. He's the one who gives us all things in him. Now consider, as we are still before the Lord, you may be convicted, husband, wife, of not being a friend to your spouse. If so, you need to ask their forgiveness. You need to ask their forgiveness for whatever you've done to not, to not be the best friend you should be. Or it may be that you need in your heart to forgive your spouse for them not being the kind of friend that they should be. But you need to make sure that you're right with the Lord. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the center of our lives. Lord, we pray for every husband, every wife here that Christ would be their Lord and that their marriage would be built upon upon him. We thank you, Lord, that you died for our sins and in coming drawing us to yourself, you have transformed us. You have, you have given us a new nature with the capacity to love others. So help us to do that. Help us to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Help us to remember you and thus from 
our remembrance and foundation of knowing you, may we be the best of friends to our marriage partner. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That common thread of love for Jesus absolutely knits my wife's and my heart together. Our main goal in marriage 42 years ago was, and still is, to serve him together wherever he leads. And I pray that you have that same kind of bond with your spouse. Thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For information about Lakeside, go online to lakesidechapel.com or call the office at 727-441-1714. Today's lesson was part of a two-part message. The entire sermon is available for free on CD. If you'd like to have one, call Lakeside at the number I just gave, 727-441-1714, and ask for message 8871, God's Original Design for Marriage, Part 1. Or you can listen online or download any of our broadcasts at the Verse by Verse website, versebyverseradio.org. Click the message archive link and search for the day you'd like. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Perhaps your marriage is less than ideal. Now, even though I think mine is great, I know it could be better. Pastor Steve will have more to help us from Genesis 2 as we consider how God wants our marriages to function. Now, I hope you can join us. Here to give you strength between three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.